It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. If you watch cable television, you undoubtedly know my guest today, Gordon Chang. Welcome. Thank you so much, Bill. You are an expert on Asia. You've written several books, including The Coming Collapse of China, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. We have had a lot of developments, and I've labeled this Trump versus China. And as we work our way through the conversation, I think our audience will figure out why. Can you tell us today how this ends? I really don't know, Bill, but I do think that in terms of China versus the U.S., um, this is a long-term struggle. Uh, China's been waging a trade war against the U.S. since the early 1990s. And for various reasons, some of them good, some of them bad, we've ignored what the Chinese have been doing because we tried to enmesh China into the international system to engage it, as the word is used. Um, But clearly things have gotten out of hand. China's behavior has rapidly deteriorated during Xi Jinping, the current Chinese ruler. And President Trump had to do something. And so what we're seeing are the tariffs. These tariffs are intended to be a remedy for the theft of U.S. intellectual property. And, Bill, this is an issue because China steals somewhere between $150, $600 billion a year in U.S. intellectual property. If I listen to those from the administration say, The fight is worth it in part because this president is willing to take it on. Generally, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, because this is a fight for our country. You know, Xi Jinping, incredibly bold ruler. He has been dropping hints that China's the world's only sovereign state, which means that we have no country in his views. Um, He's been attacking our economy, um, especially viciously, so much more than in the past. And and he's been harming our service personnel and our diplomats. Um, last year, uh, we had two pilots of a C-130. Um, they were uh, eyes were uh, injured. Um, they were lasered by the Chinese over the Horn of Africa in Djibouti. American diplomats in our Guangzhou consulate suffered brain injuries because of sonic attacks. So um, Xi Jinping is challenging us across why, the board. Sorry, why is that happening? I think in part because for decades the Chinese were used to pushing the United States around. You believe that? Oh, yes. Um, and, and, and it's because we had a very indulgent policy because we thought that over time China would move in the right direction, would become a stakeholder in the international system, as the Bush administration put it. And so, therefore, we could afford um, to sort of ignore things. But that's not the message that the Chinese leadership took. The Chinese looked at that and said, look, these Americans are weak. Yeah, they're more powerful than we are, but they're weak. Um, they're feeble. And uh, China's going to be going to dominate the 21st century. The U.S. is in terminal decline. We can do whatever we want. And unfortunately, the Chinese have stepped over many of these lines. And now we've got to start to defend so, ourselves. Because what the White House would say is that others would be they would give it a head fake come to some sort of agreement, make it public, and then move on. And I think most people would probably think, yeah, okay, victory. But not in this case. But as of today, can you say who is winning? Well, I think the United States is winning. Um, But that doesn't mean— You think so? Oh, yes. Um, Based on what? 
Well, first of all, um, you know, President Trump has not been deterred. And we saw that with this announcement of the last set of tariffs going to go on $300 billion worth of goods. And markets went crazy. Markets didn't like it. But nonetheless, this is something that had to be done. Um, And I I think you can say the U.S. is winning because the Chinese are now doing things which smell desperate. So, for instance, uh, China depreciating its currency. You know, we saw very recently uh, the renminbi drop below seven to the dollar. And that's a psychological barrier. Not for 11 years have they approached that limit and gone over it. And this is going to hurt China so much more than the United States. What's the effect of that if you devalue your currency? Well, it makes uh, Chinese products cheaper, um, and it sort of nullifies, in a sense, the tariffs that President Trump is going to do. But a couple things happen. First of all, um, because China is depreciating its currency, its products become cheaper in the U.S. market. So effectively, they're bearing President Trump's additional tariffs. So when Trump says the American consumer is not going to pay, he's correct on that. But what these tariffs are doing uh, in the background is forcing companies, Americans and otherwise, to take their factories out of China because China is now viewed as an unreliable member of global supply chains. China spent decades trying to make itself look reliable. And so it became, as people say, the world's factory floor. You know, you had to manufacture in China. Well, now these factories are going to Vietnam. They're going to Central America. Few of them are actually coming back here into the good old USA. But the point is they're leaving China. I saw an expert this past week suggest that the United States should put China in the rearview mirror and go ahead and do your deals with Japan and India and Vietnam. Is that is that realistic in this world today? It is realistic. We are negotiating, for instance, with the Japanese on a free trade agreement. Um, we're talking with Europe. Um, we've got the uh, uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada it agreement. Seems, it seems so irrational to leave $1.2 billion, a marketplace, behind. It doesn't seem possible. Well, it, it, it's not desirable, Bill. Um, but again, this is not up to us. China is driving this. Um, it's not only stealing our intellectual property, but its trade behavior has markedly deteriorated over the years. So it's not honoring the obligations that it has, not only to the United States, but to the rest of the international community. And Xi Jinping believes in a state-dominated economy where there's very little room for foreigners. Matter of fact, there's very little room for Chinese domestic private entrepreneurs. He actually believes in a sort of like a semi-Maoist model. So... Um, how how can you how do you deal with that? So uh, Xi Jinping is driving events, not let, us. Let me come back to the leader of China in a moment here. But what did candidate Trump or businessman Trump or private citizen Trump see at an early stage in his real estate career that he said this this it's not going well? Uh, they're not playing fair. What did he notice there? Well, he was looking at trade deficits that the United States was persistently running hundreds of billions of dollars of a year in, in trade deficits. And he was saying, this is not fair. Now, economists will tell you, Bill, it's not the trade deficit that matters. But yes, it does. And, and Trump is right on that. And the other thing, of course, is, is not so much a trade deficit with one country, but it's what China's doing with the proceeds of this trade. Um, as I mentioned, they're using it to build up their military and at the same time, senior Chinese officers in public talk, boast 
about killing Americans. So we've got to understand that this is not just an economic or a trade matter. This is a matter that which involves the safety of Americans and indeed the sovereignty of the United okay. States. I, I've got like 40 more questions here. But if we were to understand the state of the Chinese economy today, how would you describe it? I would say that it's in a perilous state. So h- how do we know that? What, what are the telltale signs of that, Gordon? Um, we look, for instance, at underlying indicators that are published for each month. And so, for instance, for June, you know, you had imports, which is a measure of domestic demand. So it's a critical factor. They were down 7.3 percent. In, in May, if I remember correctly, it was like down 8.5 percent. So persistently we're seeing declines in imports. And that's an indication that there's just not enough domestic demand. And also that's an indication that consumption is is declining as well. You know, the Chinese now say, well, we no longer have an export-dominated economy. Manufacturing is not important. It's consumption. But we look at some of the factors that show consumption, and they're not very good either. So, for instance, in June, you had the 12th straight month of decline in car sales, which is a bellwether. Um, Is it like down something like 9.6% or so, if I remember correctly? These are big numbers, Bill. And they're, month after month, we're seeing negative numbers. Also in June, we saw the purchasing managers indices for the manufacturing sector, which I still think is critical. Both of those were flashing red. So there's a lot of negative numbers. And it's hard to say that China really grew 6.3% in the first half, which is what Beijing has reported. Mm-hmm. You don't believe that number? I don't believe that number. In December, uh, a professor at Renmin University in Beijing created a sensation across China when he said, in 2018, China's going to grow 1.67% at most, may even contract. And China reported 6.6% growth for the year. So there's clearly a gap between what people in China are saying and what the officials are reporting. What do you think that country and that government and their people, what can they withstand? How, How much can they absorb? I think that they can absorb a lot under the right circumstances. But also, you've got to remember that this is, in China, you've got a semi-totalitarian system. So they obviously can control and coerce people. But in these types of systems, when they break, they break fast and they completely fall apart. And that's what Xi Jinping has to worry about. So, for instance, going back to the economy, they've got a huge debt problem right now. Um, But they can withstand it because um, the Communist Party controls borrowers, lenders, banks, courts, everything. So you can get away with a lot of bad behavior in terms of accumulating debt. Um, But eventually you have a crisis. And in a communist system, the crises are so much more severe than they are in free market ones like ours. Are they? I, I think so, because, you know, we saw what happened, of course, with the Soviet Union and with Eastern Europeans. What happened is in, in China's system right now, they are trying to overpower the market. They were doing this starting in big time in 2008 to avoid the global recession from affecting China. And they did things which were absolutely crazy. Just to give you one statistic, at the end of 2008, the Chinese economy, as China reported it, probably exaggerated. But as China reported it, was less than one-third the size of ours. In the five years following 2008, they created amount of credit in their banking system, which was essentially equal to the amount of credit in our banking system. What they did was they just went out and borrowed like crazy. This is probably the biggest stimulus program in history. Now, yeah, of course that avoided the recession in China, but what it did was it created these enormous imbalances 
And I'm fearing what's to go to your question of can these things get worse in China than they can in another country? You know, Chinese leaders are going to try to overpower the market until they can no longer do so. And when they can no longer do so, the markets will go into free fall. And when it goes into free fall, it will collapse. In our free market economy, what we have is we try to sort of slow things down on the way down and we try to slow things uh, on the way up. Um, so we still have firepower in order to deal with a problem. And these problems are play out over time. We allow adjustments time to time. In other words, recessions. They don't allow recessions in China. So that means the underlying imbalances become too big to solve short of a oh. crisis. Is it telling that Beijing can tell state-run industries not to sell their farm products to American farmers? Yeah, this is this is the nature of the Chinese system. And we've got to understand that. You know, the idea was that China would move to more of a liberal free market economy if they were in the World Trade Organization. And so they acceded in the end of 2001. But what's occurred is that over the last three or four years under Xi Jinping, their trade behavior has markedly deteriorated. They're going back to a state-dominated economy. The fundamental problem, Bill, is that China does not believe in the notion of comparative advantage, which underpins this whole global trading system. And now we have this big trader that is a state-dominated economy that doesn't believe in um, the principles of trade, and yet we trade with it. And that has been um, something that the Trump administration has had to deal with. Follow this question. In a democratic system, our system, is it set up in a way to do the job of taking on a communist powerhouse knowing that we have elections every four years? It's hard. Democracies generally do not have consistent foreign policies. We know that totalitarian states, authoritarian states do because they don't change leaders. One of the things, the reason why we won the Cold War was because generally we had a consistent policy from the late 1940s to the time that the Soviet Union fell in 1991. I mean, there were differences from administration to administration, but there was generally a hostile posture towards the Soviet Union. Um, Right now, you know, since the fall of the Soviets, we have had inconsistent policies um, on China. We're now in a a marked departure from what we've seen before. Um, You know, as as everyone knows, an American president has to run for re-election. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means, you know, our China policies change when you ever have a new president. Mm. A couple things on that. President Xi, what is he, what's he all about? I mean, he was the one who had the first meeting in February and March of 2017, the first state leader to go to Mar-a-Lago, and everything seems, seemed pretty good then. Then you watch the markets over the past two weeks, and it is upside down. What what is he all about? Well, Xi Jinping is all about dominating not only China. Um, his his view on China is he has absolute control of the Communist Party, and the Communist Party has absolute control over society. And Xi Jinping has even been dropping hints uh, that China is the world's only sovereign state. So this is all about control. This is a notion that China is China is the world. Now. Um, When you listen to others, President Trump, you get a very different view of it. And, you know, for instance, um, Trump uh, in his 2017 and 2018 U.N. General Assembly speeches talked about sovereignty, sounded out of place at the time. But when you understand that China is attacking the notion of sovereign states, 
which is the basis of our international system. Um, what Trump was saying was absolutely critical and important. And, you know, I've changed my mind about this because I've understood that with China attacking our Westphalian international system, Trump is the guy defending it. If Chuck Schumer comes out and says, hang in there, Donald Trump, if if Democratic Congress members like Dan Kildee from Flint, Michigan, say this is the right this is the right battle to take on, I would imagine that gives the president some some support to continue the fight because it's cross political lines. It's cross political lines. In the last year or two, there has been a consensus that China is a malign actor. And this is across the American political system. And Chuck Schumer deserves credit for supporting the president. Um, Matter of fact, you could say that uh, in the senior reaches of the Democratic Party, forget the people who are running for president who will say anything to get elected. But in the senior reaches of the Democratic Party, President Trump has pretty good support, maybe even more support than he does in the senior levels of the Republican Party. But, you know, what we're getting to is the the one thing we don't have in this country is a consensus what to do. But most people think that what President Trump is doing is right. But we do have the consensus that we got to do something about China. And this consensus did not exist two years ago. Okay, that may be. But is that solved anytime soon? Or is this something that goes into the next election? Because at the moment, I believe it's the latter. Well, I hope it isn't. But what we're seeing, though, is that Xi Jinping is driving events. So this is not an issue where, uh, you know, Trump is basically reacting. And that's because, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why you have Schumer and others Republicans and Democrats supporting the president when they normally wouldn't because they realize that China is um, attacking us across the board. And so people are saying, we got to defend our society. Um, You know, there there are some uh, Democratic candidates who have gone after the president on China, but it hasn't really been sustained. And it sounds more like campaign rhetoric than anything else. Just a few more questions here. The other day you told me that President Xi can lose any day. And I said, no, he can't. He's he's got a five President year for pl- life. Yeah, he's got a five year plan. Yeah, this I think goes to the heart of the. Do you know issue. what you said to that, by the way? Yeah, you said he's got a five minute plan. I, well, I, I I actually said, yeah, Trump has a reelection once every four years. Xi Jinping has an election every day or every hour. And the reason is two things. First of all, before Xi Jinping became general secretary of the Communist Party in 2012. China had a consensus system. So at the top, everything was done by more or less unanimous agreement. Things took a long time for the workout of what the consensus was. But when it occurred, everyone was responsible for the decision. Xi Jinping has come in and he's taken power from everybody, which means when things are going well in, like, for instance, 2017, it's great for Xi Jinping because he gets all the credit. But when things are going poorly for uh, China, then it's really bad for Xi Jinping because he's got nobody else to blame. One other thing, Bill. Under the Communist Party in Mao, who founded the People's Republic, it was sort of like no rules. Mao's successor, Deng Xiaoping, he created and started this process of creating rules, norms, guidelines to to develop sort of succession and how power is used and how power is shared. Xi Jinping has come in and he's deinstitutionalized the party by getting rid of all those rules, which means Xi Jinping doesn't have a five-year term anymore. If his enemies come out of the woodwork because he fails on something, he can lose not only his position as general secretary of the Communist Party and president of the state, 
He can lose his freedom. He can lose his assets. He could even maybe lose his life. Are, are you suggesting that's possible? It, it is possible, especially right now. A um, number of seized policies are obviously failing. He's got, for instance, Hong Kong, which is in an open state of rebe- sure rebellion, is. maybe even an open state of revolution. Um, Xi Jinping had the Hong Kong portfolio on the Politburo Standing Committee, which is the highest decision-making body in the Communist Party. In other words, the highest decision-making body in, in China. Uh, he no longer has that portfolio, but the hardline policies that are being implemented today are his policies. So he gets the blame when they fail, as they're failing now. He's got an economy which probably not growing at that 6.3% pace. You know, I don't know exactly what it is, but clearly there are real problems in China right now. Xi Jinping gets blamed for that. Xi Jinping gets blamed for something even more important, and that is in the United States in the 1950s, there was discussion who lost China because China got com- became communist in Beijing right now. The narrative is who lost America because um, in the Chinese political system at the top, people were saying, look, you know, we've pushed these Americans around for decades. And right now there's an American president who's pushing us around. The relations are deteriorating. Xi Jinping gets blamed for that. So you put all that together. Who lost America, the economy, Hong Kong, God knows what else they're talking about. And it really is an indication that Xi Jinping could lose power at some point because people are going to say it was your fault. We have seen two years ago a time when Xi Jinping's enemies came out of the woodwork and started attacking him. The attack failed. But this time with things going really bad for China, which means they're going really badly for Xi Jinping, he could lose everything. I heard an analyst speaking the other day that... He was recently in Shanghai, and his view is that the Chinese view President Trump as a weak leader. And then he went on to say that had he initiated tariffs at 100% immediately, they would have respected that aggressive nature. He went on to say that Peter Strzok should be in jail right now. If you're a political enemy of the president, the way the, the Chinese interpret it is that you, you should pay a price for that. And the fact that he's not in handcuffs shows Trump to be weak. Do you agree generally with that I, I don't think I don't think Chinese leaders it, – it's a little bit complicated. First of all, we do know that Chinese leaders, for all their study of the U.S., do not understand the U.S. system. So it means you can't put Peter Strzok or anybody else in jail just because the president of the United States is having a bad day with them. Um, and also I think that they should understand that in the U.S. system – you sort of try to build the case for what you're doing, and you don't go in with 100% tariffs right away. The one thing that I think Chinese leaders um, don't know what to think about President Trump. They see him as unpredictable, and I think, and I'm guessing here, um, but I would suspect they would even wouldn't mind a leader who was quote-unquote anti-China um, as long as they were sort of like from a predictable mold, if they were a George they W. Bush knew where or a was Barack going, Obama, right? knew where he was going, could predict what he was doing so they could counter what they would see as the next move. Trump is all over the place. And I think that that unnerves China. And I think we're going to see in the run up to the November 3, 2020 election, China is going to go after Trump. They went after him in the 2018 midterms. Um but I think they're going to really pull out all the stops. In, to, in what way? 
They did a couple of things. Um, so, for instance, um, they had that uh, Des Moines Register um, ad, which was four pages, which was targeted at China at, at uh, the Republican Party's base in the Midwest in farming communities. On September 16th, 2018, they summoned the heads of Wall Street firms to Beijing to talk about trade issues, which was a remarkable demonstration of Chinese power. We also saw the Chinese ambassador um, trot out Henry Kissinger on a number of occasions, um, doing these high-profile media events in the run-up to the midterms. So there was a concerted effort to try to change um, votes in the United Mm -hmm. States. And, you know, people were saying that they wanted to elect Democrats instead of Republicans, and, of course, they succeeded. They changed, what, 40 swing, 40 votes or 40 House seats. But what they got? They got rid of Paul Ryan, who didn't have a thought in his head on China, and they got Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, not, uh, you know, a couple decades ago was actually in Tiananmen Square unfurling uh, an anti-communist party banner. So I'm not so sure that they got, you know, that they actually— It's very interesting, Gordon. Uh, The other thing you said, when you look at the objective metrics, we win. All right, so what are those metrics? First of all, we've got a bigger economy. Our economy last year was $20.5 trillion of gross domestic product. Mm-hmm. China claimed $13.82 trillion, um, but that probably was exaggerated. We have an economy which is not export dependent. Uh, China is. Last year, China's merchandise trade surplus with the United States accounted for 119.3% of its overall merchandise surplus. That gives us enormous leverage, Bill. Um, you know, hmm. y- you run through all of these things and you just got to say, um, yeah, the U.S. has got the cards. Remember, this is a trade war, people say. And, and, and you know, in the beginning of this trade war, you heard so many people say, oh, the United States got hurt so much in the Great Depression. Well, yeah, because we were the trade surplus country in the world, Bill. Yeah. Right now, we're the trade deficit country. And in trade wars, trade deficit countries win yeah. um, because we have very little to lose. You know, last year, our trade deficit with China, which was both goods and services, was something like $379 billion or so. That means um, we have a lot of imports that we can tariff. The Chinese don't have very many U.S. imports that they can tariff because we just don't sell that much to them which really means that we've got a lot more in the way of things that we can make yeah. the Chinese hurt. Um, we were told, you referred to this earlier, we were told that prices would go through the roof and that has not happened. Correct. What explains that? Um, first of all, um, Chinese producers, um, in order to keep their market share, have reduced their prices to offset the tariffs. And the Trump administration, in the first slug of tariffs on $50 billion of Chinese goods, chose goods that um, where it was clear that the Chinese would absorb the tariffs. And indeed, people have done studies and showed that more than 80% of the initial round of tariffs were absorbed by the Chinese. In other words, American consumers paid less than 20% of those tariffs. This time, um, President Trump's most recent announcement of additional 10% tariffs on $300 billion of Chinese goods This is on consumer goods, where you would think that the U.S. consumer would pay these additional tariffs because these are consumer goods. Uh Uh-uh. 
what we're seeing, first of all, is the Chinese depreciation of the currency, which we talked about. That absorbs a lot of the co- – because that means Chinese goods are cheaper. That means when they're landed in the U.S., they're not that much more expensive, if they're more expensive at all. And also we know that some Chinese producers are being forced to absorb costs because U.S. retailers who have a lot of bargaining power are forcing um, the people who import goods to absorb the increase in costs. Um, and I think that also the big box retailers with these very big margins are probably going to absorb something. But the most important thing, Bill, is that these tariffs are convincing factories to leave. And that means when six months, nine months, maybe a year down the road, these consumer goods that have been hit by President Trump's most recent announcement of tariffs, they're going to be made in places other than China, which means that these additional tariffs just won't apply, yeah. which means American consumers aren't going to be paying more. Final question. In Trump versus China, as we call it, are you optimistic that it can be wound down to a satisfactory conclusion? I think it can be wound down to a satisfactory solution. I do think the president has the right instincts. I believe that he will do it, but it'll be a close run thing. Um, this is, and this is, is important. Sorry, what does that mean? I, I mean, I think that we are going to prevail, but we're going, we have very little margin for error, and we don't appreciate what the Chinese can do because the Chinese can now lash out. Xi Jinping has a very low threshold of risk. He realizes he could lose his life anyway. So why don't you start a war? Why don't you do something to sort of intimidate your opponents? Xi Jinping knows Mao. If you read through what Mao talked about and the way Mao interacted with other countries, it is really scary because we do not understand what Xi Jinping has in store for us. And so we're going to have to be united as a society. We're going to have to stand behind our president. And our president is going to have to do things to make sure that this unity does come into play. Because right now, we've got an existential threat to the United States. And this is going to be worse than the Soviet Union. Soviet Union was bad. Many people thought the Soviet Union would prevail over the United States and uh, the Western democracies. Fortunately, it didn't. Soviet Union did not pose as much a challenge to us as China does. It's terrific getting your insights. Thank you so much. Uh, My uh, guest is Gordon Chang. Thank you, and we will continue our conversation as the events warrant. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.